You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. That spiritual maxim we have learned in James 4, 6 remains. God is opposed to who? The proud. He's opposed to the proud. But he gives his grace to the opposite, right? To the humble. One of the things we're most proud of is our own opinions, especially when those opinions are about others. To expose and excise this pride, James provides a strong injunction against our negative words and our harsh judgments. Do you struggle with pride? Do you believe that your opinions are right most of the time? Would others agree with those answers? Pastor Tom is going to challenge us today with a convicting look at how we tend to make judgments about others. He's going to show us that when we slander or judge harshly, we actually are breaking the greatest commandment, and in effect, we judge God. It's a sobering message we all need to hear. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he continues his message. Who are you to judge your brother? It has been pointed out by many Bible teachers that pride is the most devilish sin, for it imitates his lofty ambition unmasked in Isaiah 14, 14, with the words, I will make myself like the Most High. Fat chance that's going to occur. It's no wonder that God despises human pride so much, for it reflects the devil's way of puffing up self. Proverbs 16.5 says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Proverbs 8.13 chimes in, pride and arrogance and evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. It's also why God punishes arrogance so severely. In Psalm 94.2, it says, rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. Proverbs 16.18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Isaiah 2 and verse 12 says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. Pride that is found in mortal men who trod down here on this lowly earth, it's kind of out of place, isn't it? It's unseemly. But unfortunately, it's prevalent and it is undiminished. Yet that spiritual maxim we have learned in James 4, 6 remains. God is opposed to who? The proud. He's opposed to the proud. But he gives his grace to the opposite, right? To the humble. One of the things we're most proud of is our own opinions, especially when those opinions are about others. To expose and excise this pride, James provides a strong injunction against our negative words and our harsh judgments. We started it last week. The text is James 4, verses 11 and 12. I'll read them, and we'll reflect on more that the Lord would teach us. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Well, here God reveals that those who are humble and those who follow His gentle wisdom from above, as we learned at the end of chapter 3, don't speak hurtful or critical or judgmental words against the brethren, against a neighbor. Rather, they follow another rule, the rule of love, the law of love. 
They speak words to edify. This is a short section, but it's in the larger section of correcting pride. This little section divides, we said last time, neatly into two parts. There's a moral injunction, and it's followed by some reasons that are given for that command. We turn this into two questions about judging. The first is, what is sinful judging? We covered that largely last week, and this week, why is this kind of judging so wrong. A little bit of review from the last time. What is sinful judging? If you look back at verse 11, it explains it this way, do not speak against one another, brethren, and it adds, he who speaks against a brother, or, and it adds this, judges his brother. So we noted that that term translated speak against, kataleleo, is often translated as slander, and slander is included, but the term is probably broader than just slander. Slander is a form of hateful deceit. It tears someone down, doesn't it? It rips their reputation down with false words. It's a vicious thing, and it has a deadly effect, and, and slander is particularly evil and destructive. You might even say slander is the devil's primary tool. He started with it. It's exactly what he said about God in Genesis 3. He slandered his motives in the uh, arrangement in the garden. So I'm sure slander is, maybe we'll call it the centerpiece of this injunction, It's the primary evil that James is correcting here. But speaking against also includes any form of speech aimed against a brother to tear down or hurt the brother, even if it's true. You may remember in James 3.9, just reflecting backwards a little bit, it said, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So we go out from a worship service where we praise God, and then we say something evil of someone else. Even when it's true, we use it to cut them down. So even things that are true that are unnecessarily harsh, unnecessarily critical, that is speaking against a brother. That's speaking against the neighbor also. Honestly, we're much more likely to violate this injunction from that, where we know something that's true and we word it in just such a way to make the person look bad or pass it on where it's not necessary. We may uh, deliver it, but not deliver it in love, right? And it's not edifying. Truth spoken with the intent to hurt Truth spoken with the intent to punish, truth spoken with the intent to embarrass or ridicule or put down is also unacceptable among the brethren. And so maybe we need to take a closer look at that and how we speak in that regard. Often this criticism reveals a judgment that is made in the mind first about the person, then the words come out. Now we discussed last time about how hard it is to judge accurately. We don't truly know someone else's heart, right? We can't even always figure out our own heart. What's your motive? And you look around and think, I don't know. I thought it was good. I think it's good most of the time. But it's something we have to always be evaluating, and the Lord reveals it to us over time. But even when, you know, motives are right, we often have a hard enough time, you know, seeing what's going on in their life. You see that slice of their day. You didn't see the rest of the day. You saw them only on this day, not the rest of the week. You see them only at this time and not earlier and after. And you can't put it all together as God can do that. We can't really weigh all the factors that are on someone's shoulders. Someone comes in here and you talk with them and what they say doesn't sound right. You haven't really traveled the past week with them or the past month with them. You don't know how different factors weigh on them. That's not to excuse any sin, but it's to help us to understand one another a little bit better. So when people speak confidently their opinions about other people, only seeing part of the picture, not doing the proper research, not knowing the person or the situation well enough, Those strong opinions voiced prematurely indicate pride. Why else would we be doing it? 
just for the fun, just for the game, just for the show. No, we do it because we think too highly of our own opinions. I do that also. This also extends to man-made rules when we think about judging. And we talked about how Bible-believing churches have their own set of concerns that they need to be careful about. We carry in our mind a desire to be biblical in every aspect of our life, which is good. We need to be that way. But sometimes we make God's Word not say less than it says. That's kind of what the liberal church does. The conservative church makes God's Word say more or eliminate more than what God says. We take a clear statement of God and extend it beyond what He said, and we forbid other things that God has not forbidden. And that becomes our Word, not God's Word. That is also sinful. That is also misuse of God's Word. There's a way to fly off the road on the left side. There's a way to fly off the road on the other side. It's only what God actually says that's the guardrail that keeps us going as God would want us to go on His path. So we have to be careful not to use our standards to measure someone else's maturity, someone else's spirituality, someone else's love for God, someone else's dedication and the reward they'll get from God. That's, that's something we have to be very concerned about. What does this involve? Well, it involves lots of things. We can't talk about all of them. Many of the things where God may say something about it in the Word, and He often does, but what He says is not as restrictive as what some preachers may say or some, some Christian families may say. It might be about dress standards, hair standards. What is, what is a word that's allowed to be said or not allowed to be said? Doesn't that a lot depend on motive? Or what movies are appropriate to be seen? How we celebrate or don't celebrate the holidays, school choices, whether divorce in certain situations is legitimate or not, drinking alcohol, not drunkenness, but drinking alcohol, what we're allowed to do on Sundays, what pleases the Lord as terms of foods that we would eat, how we should spend money or not spend money, save it or not, whether we take out a loan, whether we go to a yoga class whether we're allowed to draw a picture of Jesus, many, many things God does not forbid, but some men frown upon, and we need to be careful. You also need to be careful that your conscience and mind is guided by the Word of God and not the Word of man. Even when the Word of man is trying hard and is sincere in their teaching, we still have to be guided by what God's Word actually says. It's not that God's Word is silent on a lot of these subjects, but we have to be careful when we say, here's a principle we learn from God's Word, and then from that principle we make a rule that God didn't make because there's another principle in God's Word that's been overlooked, and that's why that rule was not made, because there are other principles in God's Word that all have to be factored in when we're making an understanding and a pathway forward for us. By the way, it's perfectly legitimate to make a rule for yourself when you're trying to overcome a sin, particularly, that you would not make for somebody else because you're restricting yourself in a way that helps you grow closer to the Lord, but you ought not to take that restriction and give that to somebody else and say, they have to do that as well. That's an inappropriate use of God's words. Listen, we're very careful about the things we say, I hope, to our children, or if you're a boss, to your employees, and we're very careful about what we said, what we didn't say. We don't want someone to take what we said and ignore it. That would be kind of like the church on the left. But we also don't want anyone to take what we say and extend it beyond what we say That would be the mistake some churches on the right make and some families on the right make. So we have to be careful with all of this. Scripture is concerned with every area of life, bringing it under the lordship of Christ. But how and what has a lot to do with motive. And we can't always know motive. So there is sinful judging in this arena. It's wrongful criticism. It's a wrongful standard that even sincere Bible-believing people hold and hold wrongly. And when they speak, it hurts It causes harm, and so we need to be 
checking everything by the law of love. Today we come to the second part, and that is why is this kind of judging wrong? And we kind of waded into it a little bit last time, but if you look in the middle of verse 11 and all of verse 12, that's really where we get the why, and I'm drawing out of here three reasons that are given that this kind of judging is wrong. Reason number one, when you critically judge other people, you judge the law. Look at verse 11 in the middle there. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. This is interesting. James reiterates the speak against a brother part just to make sure we know that he's specifically correcting that. Yet he adds, speaks against or judges his brother. We pointed out last time that these are like twins. They go together. When you're speaking against a brother, it's probably because you've also judged the brother in your heart. They're twin sins. The reason someone speaks against his brother or speaks against his sister, why? He's already formed the negative opinion about him or her. And so that has voiced itself now. Next, however, James adds this new thought. Speaking against the brother is judging the brother. Speaking against the brother actually involves a judgment of not just the brother, but here's the new thought, a judgment of the... And this is strange if you think about it. It's a judgment of the law. What law? God's law. When you speak against a brother, it's a judgment against God's law. When you judge a brother, you're judging God's law. That doesn't immediately work in my brain. I don't know how you read it. I remember reading this. I'm like, what? I had to look at this and relook at this and read the commentaries. Who's explaining this so I can get this? Yes, but really, this is the key point. And if you miss this, even though it may turn your head sideways a little bit, if you miss this, you're kind of missing what the Holy Spirit is saying in this inspired text. Let's walk through it a little bit so we can absorb it. The law, of course, that James is referencing is the same law he's mentioned already in this book. Context matters when we interpret chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 25, it says, One who looks intently at the, and here it's called the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, that's the perfect law. That's the law of liberty. But what is that? You jump forward to chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, however, if you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So here it's called the kingly law or the royal law. Why? Because the king gave it, Jesus. It's his law. It's his command. As he said, this is my commandment that you love one another in John 13. So that's the law. It's the royal law. It's the, the law of liberty and freedom. And it's all based upon the Mosaic Law Code, specifically the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, where, and Jesus called this the second greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament, Old Testament law, love your what? Neighbor as yourself. Douglas Moo shows how all this fits together, new covenant teaching, old covenant teaching. When James speaks of the law here, we are probably justified in thinking that it refers to the Old Testament law insofar as it has been taken up in the law of the kingdom that Jesus laid upon his followers. That law of the kingdom is, just as I have loved you, love one another. So it's a law. It's the royal law. It's the law of love. And the law of Moses is an expression of that as well. It is the one that you and I, Judge. It is this law that you and I judge and speak against when we judge and we speak against our brethren. You say, okay, but why? Why is judging a brother in here also judging the law of God? 
Because if you speak against or judge your brother, when you do that, I'll even say as you do that, you can't be loving your brother. And that's the command. Love your brother, and you judge them, and you break the commandment as you judge them. That's the point. Love does not lead us to judge others. Love leads us to be kind towards them, understanding, patient with them, gentle in their situation. Of course they have sin. We all have sin. We want to be edifying. We want to be merciful and kind. They're a fellow Christian. They have a hard walk. They're tempted like we are tempted. They're in the midst of the world like we're in the midst of the world. They have a tough ride like we have a tough ride. No one had perfect parents. No one has perfect kids. It's kind of the way it is. Since the law commands us to love as we speak against our brother, we're breaking God's command to love. Mark it down. Speaking against a brother is a violation of the law of love. Did you get it? That's important. When you do it, regardless of what positive things you thought would come about from your judgment, when you do that, you're not accomplishing those positive things. What you're accomplishing is you're hurting your brother and you're breaking the law of God. You're violating the commandment of God. And in that sense, listen, in that sense, you're also standing in judgment over God's law. And I do the same thing. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. And that's what makes this such an important text. By breaking, by judging your brother and breaking that commandment, you're in essence are saying, you know, this is not a good law. You know, this law does not apply to me. It's good for others, but it doesn't apply to me. I don't have to keep this law. I'm above this law. I sit in judgment over the law. Didn't know you were saying that, did you? But now James has put words in our mouth, and we see it a little more clearly. Dr. Tasker points out, when man ceases to be a doer of the law, he becomes ipso facto a judge. A wrongful criticism of a brother, either by slanderous lies, which, by the way, slander includes exaggerations of other people's faults. Would you agree? They have a fault, and you make it look like this. I mean, politicians do that all the time. He said this. That means he means this. No, it doesn't. It means he said that. That's what it means. Don't take it any further than that. So slander includes slander, exaggerations of other people's faults, or even truth, which is aimed to bring them down. That's not keeping Jesus' command to love either. So I'll say it again. Slander is a large part of what James is rebuking here because slander is one of the worst sins. It attacks a person's integrity. It attacks their dignity. It attacks their reputation. You know, Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. What would you rather have, a good reputation or great wealth? You better answer correctly on that. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than a good ointment. And that stuff was expensive back then. But slander defames the very character one has spent his entire life, all of the time in his business or in his workplace or in his neighborhood, and he's trying to build up that. And someone comes along and says something that's false, and it rips them down. That couldn't possibly be loving. Someone may even say, you know, I'm just trying to love here. No, you're not. And slander can be devastating. Why? Because people tend to believe false reports. We do. That's what keeps the media afloat. And I would add this. If there is a friend and a word comes against them and you do not stand up for them when they're being slandered, you're not a friend. That's when they need you to stand up for their reputation and not stroke the chin and go, hmm, I wonder if that's true. 
Friends don't let friends be slandered. If you don't agree, just ask what you would think if someone slandered you and your friend was like, huh, I didn't know that was true about you. Is that true about you? Yet slander is everywhere. It's in the media, as I mentioned, the social media that constantly twists the words of anyone, politicians. One side pounces, the other side pounces. They do it to each other. I guess they deserve it. The media regularly places good people under the worst light. Good people trying to do the right, righteous thing, and they make them look like bigots. They make them look like they're terrible people. And then they take folks that are completely violating the commandments of God and make them look noble and heroic, charting a new course, bringing a new day. Frankly, it's sickening. People call evil good and good evil. But don't ever let yourself be party to slander anywhere. Not here, not at home, not once in a while, not ever. Let the candidates do that to each other. That's like Hitler. That's like Hitler. None of them are like Hitler, not even close to Hitler. Just ask someone who was under Hitler. You're a traitor. They're not a traitor. They look at their country differently. You hate the Constitution. I don't know that, that they hate the Constitution. They do this on all sides, but not in here. We don't do that in here. We never do that in here. We should never allow that to be done in here. And if it comes out of your mouth, you're forgiven. Just go immediately, immediately and say, I was wrong. I should never have said that. Go after it. Don't even wait a day. Go after it right away. I let those words slip out. I shouldn't. They hurt. They were wrong. And you go chase it down. And if it's public, you go public and you make your apology public. Don't slander people in public and confess your sins in private. No, if you've slandered them in public, you go to the public and you say to everyone, I was wrong. I spoke too quickly. I'm very sorry. And what can I do to make it up? It's unloving and it's hurtful to speak against brothers. We are a community of love. We're supposed to be different. People are supposed to look at the church and go, well, that's different. That's not how we are out in the workplace. That's not how we are in our family. You guys are different. The way you behave towards one another is different. You have a different set of rules. This is foreign to us. So what happens when someone in here is struggling in their marriage and you find out about it? What happens when there's a leader and he looks really downcast? Man, that guy should have the joy of the Lord. Is that what you're thinking? What happens when a brother confides in you a problem? You thought, wow, that's a huge problem. I didn't know he had that. When someone doesn't explain a doctrine quite right in class, you pounce or do you help and edify? When someone skips communion on Sunday, my, 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 look at that. Oh, my. They skipped. That's the body and blood of Christ. They skipped that. Clearly not dedicated. Deep sin. Mom snaps at a child in the foyer. You think like, you know, they, they need... You need to go back to parenting class. You find out someone hasn't prayed too much this week, been skipping their quiet times. They're, they're falling away from the Lord. Love does not rush to judgments about the soul. It does not start saying, you know, I thought there was something wrong with that person. I always did, you know. I just I really thought there was something off about them. Boy, they need prayer. Listen, we all need prayer. We all tend to drift from the Lord. You're not an island. You're not your own spiritual strength. You depend on the Lord like everyone else. When we make too much conclusion from too little information, we void love and we sin. Yes, our words matter. They matter a lot. They cut deep. We learned that back in chapter 3. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, James 3, 5. R. Kent Hughes has this vivid 
picture of people who've been hurt by the tongue. The world is populated by walking caskets because countless lives have been dissolved and sucked empty by another's words. Criticism spreads and it hurts. It's ugly. It's unloving. Pastor Tom continues to give us a lot to think about when it comes to what comes out of our mouth and how we treat other people. We might not always agree with one another, but our primary motivation and primary action should be loving each other rather than making judgments about our neighbor. If you've slandered or judged someone, would you commit to making it right and showing them love instead? With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time, we'll learn further that we are not in a good place to be the judge and jury over our brothers and sisters. Not only are we terrible at seeing all the angles and motivations of others, but we're really lazy about gathering all the facts. Part of that is because in our effort to deal with the speck of dust in the eye of others, we can hardly see around the huge chunk of lumber in our own eye. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.